This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 25. In this passage, we encounter the second of three parables Jesus tells to help his disciples understand what it will be like in the end times. The principles here are timeless, so we should be paying attention. What we find in this story is the proper way to prioritize our lives and use our resources. Consider how much that covers. If we take this seriously, we'll know what matters and we'll know where to invest our time, energy, and money. Of course, our human nature screams a different plan. But if we can follow the example we'll see today, we'll receive the best reward of all, God's blessing and approval. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So follow along with me. We're going to read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Let's see what God has to say to us today. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. And by the way, the it here is the kingdom of heaven, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, a lot to digest here. Let's unpack this parable here piece by piece. Here there are three lessons that emerge very clearly, naturally from the text. The first lesson I want us to see is the stewardship of spiritual productivity. Jesus is talking about spiritual matters. When we read about the two slaves, the two faithful slaves and the one unfaithful slave, obviously what we want to do is imitate the two faithful slaves. This is not rocket science. So Jesus expects a specific type of conduct 
from his followers in the period between Advents. You know, he's about to go up to heaven and he is telling the disciples, this is what you should do, this is how you should behave, or this is what your conduct should be. But he's talking about the future. Remember in verse 1 of chapter 25, the word then, he's referring to the future. This is a future generation who will be alive at the time when Jesus comes back, but the principles, remember, are timeless. Nothing in the Bible is limited by time. I want you to know that. Every promise here transcends time. So the Word of God is then timeless, and therefore the application is timeless and very similar to the application of the parable of the ten virgins that we looked at last week. Now, the boss on a journey here, obviously, this is a reference to Christ himself, that master that went on a journey represents Jesus who would ascend to heaven not too long after the day he told this parable here. Now, this fictitious master entrusts his servants with financial resources measured by weight. The talent is a measurement of weight. Now, we don't know what the currency was. It could have been gold. It could have been silver. It could have been bronze or copper. We do not know. It is irrelevant to the story. We do know that one talent is a lot of money. So this one slave that received five talents received a lot of money. So let's just keep it at that. The main point here is that individual personalized assignment that each servant received according to the master's assessment of their ability. See, let's not lose sight of that. The master knows them and he knows their ability to produce a profit. So therefore, he gave to each slave or servant according to his assessment of their ability. Each one received differently from the other according to their ability. Now, this is a pattern and how God grants things to you and to me, how, how he gifts us. For example, Jesus commissioned the original disciples in a very similar manner. He did give the same blessings, the same amount of blessings to each one of the 12. For example, Peter, James, and John received more revelation than the others which is evident by the fact that they went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. Only the three, the others, did not receive the same blessing. In fact, you may remember when we studied that passage that there was a little bit of bickering between the disciples about that. Well, who's greatest in the kingdom? Well, guess what? I went to the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. Now, very human-like to do that. But again, the Lord gave according to His love, His sovereignty, His assessment of our ability to handle what He gives to us. And out of those three, Peter, James, and John, only John received a tour of heaven. And Paul, not even a part of the original 12, saw and heard things in paradise, he says. Things that he was not permitted to speak. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And let me tell you something else, church. None of them, none of these men received the blessing of seeing the risen Lord before anyone else. That gift went to Mary Magdalene. In John 20, verse 16. So that shows us, church, that even in the few verses of this parable here, as we are drawing the parallels and understanding the application of the parable, that God is not obligated to distribute blessings equally among people. So it's okay if your neighbor is being blessed. It's okay if your family member is receiving supposedly more blessings than you. So don't be envious about that. God has a specific personalized plan for you. He gives according to his sovereign, to his generosity, according to his kindness, according to his love. And understanding that, church, and not being envious about, well, how about the other, that other church over there, God, that other pastor there, they're growing. 
they're doing a great job, but when are you going to bless us here? I'm speaking, obviously, from my experience of being tempted from time to time to think like that. The point is this, church. Nothing you have is by your own merit. Remember that nothing you have is by your own merit. But you say, wait a minute, pastor. I worked hard to get to where I am. Oh, really? Who gave you breath for you to work hard to get to where you are? Who gave you the energy to work hard? Who gave you the mind to make right decisions to get to where you are? So consider this. The very air you breathe is a gift from a gracious God who withholds the judgment that you and I deserve. Your very next heartbeat is a gift from God. You do not deserve that. Neither do I. We deserve judgment. And yet God gives us what we don't deserve. He withholds that judgment from us and grants to us His gracious gift of life. So whatever you have is a gift from God already. You should be thanking God for that instead of worrying that somebody else is getting all the blessing. How come that guy got five talents and I only got two? It shouldn't work like that. He distributes talents as in weight of opportunities according to, again, his evaluation of your ability, which is also a gracious gift from him. Even your ability to perform things, even your ability to do, your ability to reason is a gift from God. Your ability to make decisions. Let me give you another example. The blessing of preaching to thousands in 19th century London went to Charles Spurgeon, no one else. The honor of preaching the gospel to millions of people around the world in, in the 20th century went to Billy Graham, no one else. The incredible privilege of preaching and shepherding this distinguished flock in Salem, Oregon, in this season went to yours truly. But check this out. The indescribable honor to represent Christ in this community, in your house, in your school, in your place of work, at this time went to you. Consider that the talent that God has placed on your lap for you to multiply for His honor, for His glory. What a great blessing you have in front of you to multiply the gift that God has given to you, whatever that gift is. Now, His distribution of talents includes spiritual gifts. Every believer has spiritual gifts. Some of you have more than one spiritual gift, perhaps. But spiritual gifts are not natural talents. And I'm using talents here in a context differently than what we're reading here. A spiritual gift is something you received at your second birth. A natural talent is something you receive at your natural birth or you develop it through life. But the spiritual gift, they are special abilities that God grants to each one of us meant to be used in the edification of the body of Christ. The purpose of your spiritual gift is for you to build up other people, not to build up yourself. Now, as a byproduct of you building up other people, guess what? You get blessed. So the spiritual gift that you have, you must employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, we're told in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Now, we can call this the stewardship of spiritual productivity. Instead of being anxious about temporary troubles or the temporary nature of troubles in this world, and by the way, every trouble in this world is temporary, and instead of being worried about these things, we must invest our resources, our time, our energy in developing and multiplying into spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us according to His wisdom. And again, I cannot invest what I don't have. You cannot invest what you don't have. So based on that principle, church, what you need to do, what, what all of us need to do here as believers in Christ, we need to find a local church 
and serve the body of believers with your spiritual gift, there is no way you can utilize your spiritual gift for the purpose for which it's intended unless you are plugged in and involved in a church, that you attend that church regularly, not once a month. You need to be a part of the flock You need to be involved in a local church where you will utilize your gift. And why not in the process? Employ your natural abilities as well. And check this out, church. The beauty of all of this is that when you're busy seeking spiritual productivity, you will hardly have time and energy to entertain anxious thoughts. And when you're involved in the body of Christ, guess what? You can talk to people and say, can you help me figure this out? I'm a little anxious about this. I'm not sure I know how to deal with this properly, perhaps because of my upbringing, perhaps of cultural expectations or temperament. Can you help me with this? And that's the beauty of being involved in the body of Christ. By the way, God doesn't measure spiritual productivity by results. Did you know that? The metric that God uses is faithfulness. So you will be faithful to what God has given you to do He will for sure give you a rate of return so that you can present to him like those two servants and say, Lord, here it is. I'm I'm, I'm giving you back what you have given me now with interest. Let's look at another blessing of productive watchfulness. We talked about the stewardship of spiritual productivity. The second one is the service of spiritual privilege, verses 16 through 18. The service of spiritual privilege. And and I'm using that word uh, on purpose. Serving God is a privilege. It's not a burdensome chore. It must be seen as an incredible honor and privilege. Now, the two faithful servants here produced a profit. Check this out. Because they went to work immediately. Immediately. In fact, you should circle that word in verse 16 or underline it. Immediately. That should be your response and mine when God has given us things to do, when God has clearly opened doors for us to serve Him. What we need to do is we need to do it immediately. Not a few months from now. Not a couple years from now. Not, Lord, let me take care of my own life first. No. Immediately. The time to do it is now. Anytime you wait, any, any day you wait longer and you're considering whether or not you're going to do it because of you're afraid of risks and things like that, that time belongs to the devil and you will be tempted not to do it. So they did not wait for the quote-unquote appropriate time. It's always the appropriate time to serve the Lord. The servants here knew exactly what to do. They produced different outputs, but in terms of percentage, the two guys here, both of them doubled the investment. Did you notice that? One of them produced five more, the other produced two more, but they were both 100% return on the investment that God has made in them. They made wise business decisions. Although we don't know what those decisions are, we only know that the first guy went and traded with people. In other words, he put the master's money to work because he knew that that money wasn't his to keep. And that's how we should view everything that we have in our lives, whether it's your money, your time, your energy. Nothing belongs to you. Everything belongs to God. In fact, God has given you and me the tremendous blessing and the tremendous privilege of being stewards of those resources that we have temporarily. So your children belong to God. Your parents belong to God. Your brothers and sisters belong to God. That is why you need to be extremely careful on how you treat one another. Now, because of their love for the boss and out of gratitude, these servants here, at least the first two, worked hard and they worked smart to present something of value to him. And they considered their assignment the greatest privilege rather than a burdensome chore. They didn't have to do it, church. They got to do it. 
That's the reason we don't beg people here to serve at Grace Baptist Church. We're going to say, do you want to be indescribably blessed by God by serving in His local church? Producing spiritual gain for Him is an indescribable privilege. Let's go to work immediately, doubling up on what He has placed under our care. Now, sadly, contrary to the first two, the unfaithful slave did nothing with the master's money. It's not that he didn't know what to do. The master gave him money knowing that he was able to do it because the master presumably would have already trained him on how to do it. But his disregard for the resources of the master parallels the five foolish virgins of the previous parable that we looked at and the wicked slave of the first one. This guy here, church, symbolizes counterfeit dead faith. The kind of faith that James talks about in chapter 2, verse 20 of his book, faith without works, which is dead faith. So finally, this leads us to the third point here, the third lesson that will be done. We talked about the stewardship of spiritual productivity, the service of spiritual privilege, and now thirdly, the storing of spiritual profit. Jesus makes another reference here to the perceived delay. Remember, he, he made a reference to a time delay in the parable of the ten virgins there. He makes another reference of that perceived delay. And the reason I say perceived delay is because God exists outside time. Time is meant for us. God created time so that we can keep track of seasons, keep track of years and days and all of that. He doesn't need any of that. He already existed from eternity past. He will continue to exist into eternity future. Therefore, the delay here is from the human perception. Now, the two faithful slaves received a reward And the reward is increased authority. That is what Jesus wants us to understand here, is that when he establishes his kingdom, those of us who are faithful, like those two slaves here, will receive increased authority in the kingdom. And the reason why Jesus is using that illustration is because he knows that he can trust these servants. You were faithful in a little, you will be faithful in much. Now, and by the way, little... (laughs) The few things that Jesus is using here, again, is from a divine perspective. Because from a human perspective, five talents was a lot of money. From God's perspective, he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of riches. He's the creator of, or, of any type of resources. So from his perspective, a few things. Nothing more than a few things. Perhaps a couple million dollars. A few things. Church, because of this, then I ask you, is there anything more profitable, more honorable, more noble than the approval of Jesus? We long to hear those words from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we're after his approval. See, the approval of people means very little for us, because we're after the approval of Jesus. By comparison, then, if that's our perspective, the rejection from people hurts, of course, we need to acknowledge that. It's not pleasant to be rejected by people, but like a non-poisonous ant. It it hurts just for a little bit. you, You scratch it and you're fine. It stings for a little bit, but you barely notice it the next day. That's how we should view the rejection from people. If we are primarily concerned with the approval of Christ, if we are primarily concerned with hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you may think you're too old to serve God. We may say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm past my prime. But consider this, my friends, you have the wisdom that some of us don't. If you're older than us, you've been around longer. You have the life experiences that some of us young bucks don't have. And we need your wisdom. Give God your best now. Ask him how you can employ whatever you have with whatever limitations you think you may have 
And he will double your spiritual investment. I guarantee you from the word of God because that's the kind of God we serve. So you may think you're too old. You made mistakes before? Well, what did you learn? Could you teach us what you learned from your mistakes? Yeah, that's a good way to serve the body of Christ. Teach the rest of us what you learned from your mistakes, what you've learned from walking with God for decades. Now let me address you, young, my, my young friends here. You have your entire lives in front of you, your entire adult life to invest in kingdom service. Do not, please, do not waste your life on selfish, meaningless pursuits. What career will allow you to maximize your spiritual profit to serve Him? Don't, don't, don't choose a career based on how much money you're going to make. Choose a career based on how you can serve God and He will take care of how much money you make. How about that? Because he says, pursue first of all the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you. So ask him and he will show you. And for the rest of us, I guess uh, I've addressed my old brothers and sisters here and my younger, the rest of us here in your 30s and 40s and 50s, let's spare no effort in serving him at full potential. Do you speak two languages? Can you use those two languages to preach the gospel? Can you use those two languages to serve him at full potential? Let me say this in the words of Paul. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. 2 Timothy 2.4. Again, pleasing God first. That is our goal. That is our marching orders. And we will please God by serving him at full potential. Is there any untapped resource in your life that you have not yet recruited for the service of the king? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Again, approved to God, not approved to our society. Approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. If you don't know exactly what to do, let me give you a starting point. Start reading the Bible. Start by learning the attributes and the character of God. Because He has revealed Himself to you. You could not know God. We could never know God. Unless he had revealed himself to us. And he has done that in his word. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we're told that he loves a cheerful giver. So if God has blessed you with financial resources, and by the way, if you're an American, you are part of the richest society in the world. How can you put that to use for the honor of God instead of for your own self-gratification? Of course, you need to take care of your family and all. We all know that. But the point is, How can you employ every one of the resources that God has given you for the glory of God for a maximum weight of return? Hold nothing back from God. Now look at verse 24. While the first two slaves received rewards, the other gave the master only excuses. And they're really lame excuses, really. In an attempt to justify his laziness, he even insulted the master. I I hope you caught that in the parable here. Because he demonstrates how little he knows about the character and the nature of the boss. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. A hard man? You're kidding me? How about a generous man? How about a kind boss? A hard man? Who told you that? Rather than acknowledge his generosity, the unfaithful steward here calls him a thief. You reap where you did not sow. Church, that is theft. He's calling him a thief. He's calling him an abusive boss, an unforgiving, conniving, and a greedy businessman. What a blasphemous view of God. And I'm afraid many people think like this guy today. The reality of this guy is that God's business was not important to him. That is why he was a slothful servant. In fact, he is a counterfeit believer because 
in the end of the story here, Jesus says that that guy is called a worthless slave. And throw him into the outer darkness and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where is that, church? Hell or Hades. The place where unbelievers go. The place where people who don't know Jesus Christ will go. So this is a false believer. This was a, a, a counterfeit slave, counterfeit servant. Now look at verse 28 here. That verse shows the added reward of the first slave. I hope you picked up on that too. But the master says, well, take that one talent and give it to the guy who produced five more. So that guy now has another talent to work with because he knows that he will certainly double that too. So now that we know all of that, the marching orders for us today, based on this parable, is to rearrange our priorities, church, so that we can reflect the heart of those two faithful servants. Isn't that what we want? So how do we do that in, in practical terms? I'm glad you asked. What has God entrusted to you? What are the metaphorical talents you have before you? You have a family? You have to care for them as if they belong to the Lord because they do. Do you have a church? Are you part of a local body of believers here? You care for that church. You have the gospel, friend, if you're a believer in Christ. You have that treasure that we were talking about here. And in this country, so far, you have the freedom to proclaim it. That's a talent that God has given you. How are you going to double these metaphorical talents... Learn the attributes of God and check this out. Don't be afraid to take a risk. Because serving God is risky. But God has never failed anyone. You're not going to be the first one. I guarantee it. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.